Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a two-game set against the Atlanta Braves, losing that one two games to nothing, and then just played a one-gamer against the Baltimore Orioles, winning that game. So they were one for three in the last uh, few nights and are currently last place in the American League East, currently four and a half games out of the American League wild card, the third wild card spot. They have the White Sox, Twins, Orioles, and then holding that uh, last wild card spot at the moment is the Rays. So those are the four teams in front of us. If we're going to be scoreboard watching, uh, th- those are who you want to look at. So quick disclaimer, as always, for any first time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Duan. Andrew? Always good to record after a sweep. <laughs> I'll take it. Take it any way I can get it. Uh, I was going to ask you guys if, if this counts as a series win. According to Elias, it does count, actually. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's uh, I don't count it. Yeah, I, I don't think I can either. But just chiming in there, Joe Goddard from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island. Job, how are you? Well, if you're going to win one of three in this little mini set, this was the one to win. So I'm actually not doing too bad. How about yourself, Terry? Well, I think we lost a half a game. Uh, over the last three nights, so it's it was a net negative. Um, I, I've got some frustrations that I'm going to be kind of airing out. Um, one involving a starting pitcher. Uh, not crazy about some bullpen management, but we'll uh, we'll get into that. Kind of a goofy run into the show because we kind of had to lump the one gamer with Baltimore into it. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of looking at it as a, as a three game series, either way here. Um, we did lose two out of three, so we will start on the duds side of it. So, uh, Joe, go ahead, lead us off. Who is your dud for the last three nights? Uh, my dud is Kevin Plawecki and I feel bad about it. It's, it's not his fault that he's being asked to be the starting catcher for this team but he's not a starting catcher I really don't even think at this point in his career he's a backup catcher uh, and he's not capable of that from an offensive perspective he was two for nine in this series 
um, or this mini three-game set. He did have three strikeouts, uh, which I'm not super stoked about. And he obviously missed a tag. It would have been a very difficult play at home against Acuna in the first game of this little this little series with Atlanta um, where I thought he could have made a tag. It would have been a difficult play, but I thought he could have made the play, and instead I think that cost us the game. So Ploiecki's my dud. Andrew, thoughts? I don't think he had a chance at a, at the, on that Acuna play, but, I mean, yeah, he's he is what he is at this point. I think they don't want to shake up you know, too much with this pitching rotation, you know, get it. They don't want them to have to get used to two brand new catchers at once. So I think that's pretty much, uh, job insurance right there. Um, I'd have no problem if they cut ties with him at this point. I don't know how his relationship in the locker room is. Maybe it would cut even deeper if they got rid of him. but yeah, uh, I'm all set with him. Um, he had some bad luck tonight. He had two should have been hits, but, you know, when you're going like he's going, that's what that's what happens. He scored one run in his last 40 games. Now, I know that says a lot about the lineup around you as well, but that's just unacceptable. And he's hitting at 170 on the season. The one thing I'm kind of getting tired of is the home run cart. And I think that should be banned for as long as we're under 500. You're playing under 500 ball, no home run cart. That's a you're playing under 500 ball. You shouldn't be having fun. I feel like I'm watching. The, <laughs> I feel like I'm watching Billy Bean in Moneyball, and I'm irrational. Like I'm irrationally angry when I watch them having fun, knowing full well the bullpen the next half inning is going to go out and give up three runs. That it it frustrates me. I want to be Billy Bean. I want to smash the speaker. Is losing fun? No. Move on. I, anyone who's seen that movie knows the scene I'm talking about. I yeah. find it incredibly frustrating, Terry. I agree with you. We ought to see if if they can bring Brad Pitt in to do you know the scene all over again. I think that would be great. But that's a Kevin Ploiecki thing. It's something that's always going to be tied to him. I'll be curious to see if the team does it after he's gone. Uh, tough to tell. But while we're on him... It, why aren't we just putting Reese McGuire in? And I know, Andrew, you touched on it a little bit. It's tough to, you know, develop chemistry on the fly, so to speak. But McGuire has a hit in all four of the games he's appeared in for the Red Sox so far. Two out of those four were multiple hit games. So he is six for 15. And... Let's see. Were there any wins? Only one of those four was a win. It was the 7-4 game uh, against Kansas City. But I feel like he gives you a better chance to win. You got the stat line for Ploiecki here. uh, One for nine. Uh, It's just brutal. Just get as many looks at McGuire as you can before you got to make some tough decisions this winter. Right, and if McGuire's going to be your catcher of the future or even your backup of the future because he's got three years left on that deal, you should start getting a look at him right now and figure out what he's got. And I'm of the opinion that he can't possibly make the pitching woes any worse. I don't know if, Andrew, you agree with that 
or what your thoughts are on this, but that's my opinion. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think with the extended look, I do think that McGuire's offense would probably be on the same level as Pulecki's. Um, he's not a good hitter, but the difference is, you know, he's actually going to throw out a guy. Uh, he's got an above average arm. He's a good framer, good blocker. Uh, tonight, I don't know if there was even enough evidence to overturn that um, safe call at second base, but I think they were like, oh, sh- that was Pulecki. Yeah, he, he was safe. So I don't even think they needed too much evidence to, you know, reverse the call when he finally got a caught stealing for, you know, the first time in however long that's been. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with giving McGuire, you know, f- three out of five games from here on out. His career average is 246. He's currently hitting, let's see, where is he? 242 at the moment on the season between here and Chicago. So I think that's at least half a step up from from Pulecki. Well, it's fifty points better than Kevin Pulecki. Yeah, at, the- at this point, he. I don't know. I mean, Kevin Pulecki might hit a couple more home runs. Not that he's ever been a, a big slugger. Yeah, McGuire doesn't have any home runs, and Pulecki's got one. Oh, and he's got let's, one. Okay, let's let's not say that he's got ten here. Come on now. I just why not get a get an extra look at him? I, I assume he's probably going to be the backup catcher uh, next year if Bloom explores that market, or even if Vasquez comes back. So we'll uh, we'll see there. Um, let's see, Andrew, go ahead. You're dud for the series. I am. Um, I picked the other guy that's kind of hitting like Kevin Pulowiecki at the moment, and that's JD Martinez. Since the trade deadline, which was you know. Not, I don't know how you put it, maybe a bookmark of the season, um, a timestamp on the season. You know, he came out and said, I'm really comfortable now. Now that I know I'm not going anywhere. He's four for 29, and they've really been non-competitive at bats. He's striking out multiple times. Um, in fact, he's got one, two, he's got two, three strikeout games, uh, three, two strikeout games. So... Whatever's happening with him right now is not good. And I think we're seeing why he wasn't traded. I don't think, you know, the offers were there. I think they were like, well, whatever. I mean, we can just give him the QO. I think that's in jeopardy at this point. Um, Yeah, it's been really bad. And, you know, if they go out and they lose the next, say, five games in a row, do they just... DFA him and you know you he'll get claimed someone will claim him and pick up that salary and then they could probably DFA another guy that might get claimed and just like that you could be under the you know the tax line you didn't gain anything from it but you might you know by resetting that tax you're not getting penalized when it comes to where the qualifying offer picks would uh you know, would land. And again, that's an extreme um, example, but I don't know. Some, I, I bet it's been talked about. Unfortunately, I'm sure you're right. Like that sounds like the, the Heim Bloom era to me. I, I agree with you, Andrew. There's nothing JD Martinez is doing that makes me think that he's worthy of a qualifying offer right now. 
I don't think the Red Sox would DFA him because they think that would really shatter your chances at re-signing both Xander Bogarts and I think it hurts your chances at Rafael Devers, who we all agree is the guy you want to re-sign. He's also kind of a de facto hitting coach for this team. Not that that says a lot. This offense is still scoring the third most runs in baseball, so we'll see. Um, my issue is I think J.D. Martinez is hurt. I think he's been hurt for quite a while, almost two months. Um, I would draw the line at you know the start of July. And I think if the rest of this team was clicking, J.D. Martinez would have an extended time sitting on the bench. But because the team is not playing well, and because he's playing for a contract, he doesn't want to quit. And there's, there's no – you can't sit a body that's 50-50 when your backups and your backups' backups are playing as poorly as they have. I mean, J.D. Davis would be your next man up, and that's just not acceptable. So I think he's playing hurt, but he is deservedly so a dud for this series. I hear what Andrew's saying. It's it's a tricky thing to do right now. I mean, ticket sales seem to be down. You're seeing a lot of a lot of empty seats out there. I just I don't think the Red Sox could could take the bad PR. And I think if it, it just would be a bad look if you hung on to him. Like you could have got something for him, a top 15, a top 20 prospect at the very worst, I think. And then for Bloom to kind of, it's looking like he might have botched that. I didn't want him to trade JD, but if we go into the toilet, that doesn't look great. You know, it, the the Bluminati, if you will, um, you know, w- would probably be a little more annoyed that, that an acquisition wasn't made for him. So, I think I think he's kind of committed to just seeing it out this season. And if Bloom wants him back bad enough, I, I think JD's performance would have to have a bit of an uptick. I think giving him the qualifying offer next year would destroy his market. I think that would almost guarantee he comes back to Boston. I don't think we should. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers. He didn't even have a hit going, you know, leading up to the trade deadline. He went from, and granted, he missed some time, from July 31st, he had to go back to July 15th. Again, he missed a couple games here and there. He didn't have a hit. It was an ugly streak. Absolutely. I don't think you can give it. I I just don't think, I don't think there was a market for him. I mean, Vogelbeck, you know, he's actually doing well. J.D. Davis is doing well. These guys are doing well. I, I just... I think teams look around at J.D. Martinez and they see a guy that's done. Well, I think a a team might have, like I said, given up a top 15 or top 20 prospect at least to get him. I I think they would have tried the change of scenery and and see if they might have found an uptick. But I don't know. I'm not a huge proponent of bringing him back. It's tough to know where Bloom's mindset really is. I do think... If you look at the history of the Patriots, Belichick's always turning over, you know, 25 to 33 percent of the roster every year. And it it refreshes the energy. It refreshes the chemistry. 
And I think we might need a little bit of that next year. And if JD's a guy that doesn't come back, then so be it. But you have to replace him. You got to you got to find a guy that's going to give you 80% minimum what JD gives you. You need an impact guy. Bogarts is a guy who I'm not sure we're bringing him back. If we do, it'll be a late winter signing because by then his market will be down towards, you know, the team friendly range if he's still out there. But you got a ton of guys to replace and I don't expect a Trevor story type signing. I, I expect a lot more mid-level signings for the lineup. So it's tough. It's tough to it, there. There's a little bit of a risk in not bringing back JD. I think. I think they'll bring him back. I think it'll be on cheap money. But I, I think there's more of a risk to not bringing him back than than just that. Than I wouldn't give him over ten million at this point. No, I think they'll probably give him, if I had to guess, one year, eight million. Uh, with I don't even does he even do that? Fourteen. I but think, I think you get outbid. You get outbid at eight million. I think. He's probably a twelve to fifteen million dollar player when all is said and it's, done. And if someone offers him two years, I'm absolutely pushing pushing the plate away from the table. Oh, one hundred percent. You walk away. I I think what they really you know what the Red Sox obviously were hoping for was that Casas would be ready. This would be a seamless transition uh, for your power bat in the middle of the lineup. Casas obviously got hurt. It's not been smooth sailing. If JD walks away and goes to another team, even if it's one year deal and someone pays him slightly more money, I think Cassis starts out of the gate in Boston as as the DH until he's ready to play first. We know he has a great relationship with Eric Hosmer. Um, Eric Hosmer is a former Gold Glover five times over. I think that could be great for Casas' development. I don't hate it. And I think it would be a good thing for this team to start to move some of those faces up, assuming they can play. Because Right now, the Red Sox have, for back-to-back seasons, put all their eggs in the prospect basket. And Casas is supposed to be the guy that's the closest to being ready. And if he doesn't pan out, then it's it's really fire sale time. But I think if you go Casas, if you have Casas endeavors um, in the middle of your lineup for the next you know, foreseeable future, I actually think you're in good shape. So I'm, I'm not too, too worried as long as Casas you know, is ready to go next year for health reasons. I think he should be, unless he's just going to be one of those, you know, six foot five, always injured players like we see on another team in our division. But, um, but we'll see. I mean, you you can certainly utilize that DH thing. I just I look at Hosmer, and it, it would be so hard hard to part with him, given the fact we're paying almost nothing for him. But at the I same don't think time, he's going anywhere. Well, at the same time, though, how do you how do you start Casas at at first base with a guy like Hosmer on your roster? You don't. I mean, DH Hosmer. You 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 switch the back and forth at DH so that Casas gets a couple of reps at first until he's really comfortable. No one's accusing Casas of being a, a Gold Glover right now at first, unless I'm mistaken, Andrew. Right? His his defensive tools are average. Uh, he's a pretty good average. one. I mean, he's a big target. Right. Yeah, he was an ex-third baseman like Dahlbeck, but right. he's right. more as comfortable. His, right, but as is Eric Hosmer. And I don't think that Costas is going to be one of those guys who comes up 
and instantly is like, I need to, I need to play in the field every day. I think he'd be very happy sitting in the middle of the lineup as a DH and, and learning from Hosmer. And I don't think that that's a necessarily an issue. And if it becomes an issue, you can always move on from Hosmer. Um, now that his contract is so cheap next year at the deadline or, you know, the following year and probably get, you know, a half decent prospect back if he's still hitting 270 with 10 home runs. I'm just saying, I don't really hate either scenario, but it'd be kind of goofy to have one of the best defensive first basemen in Major League Baseball sitting at DH. I just, it's just kind of weird, but. um, Right, but he's getting up there in age, and I think it it won't necessarily be all the time so much as it'll be maybe you give Casas two games out out of five. Right, so forty percent of the games at first, and that's going to be, I think, enough to to keep him he- keep him healthy, and that's a good thing for this team. So who knows? That that's a problem for next year's Red Sox, and who knows if Casas is even going to be ready? I think he will be by then if he's healthy. But the other goofy thing here too is that they're both lefties, so you don't have like a Moreland Pierce situation going on, and Casas would obviously be in the lineup every day regardless. <laughs> um of where he's playing but it's it's just kind of a it's just kind of a goofy fit but i i just i want to take full advantage of of eric hosmer at that money as as do i i think eric hosmer is is a great thing for this team i think he does a lot of and he obviously doesn't have the same skill set uh from a power perspective as kyle schwarber but he's doing a lot of the same things for this team as far as taking a lot of pitches and putting together some gritty at bats, you know, 10 pitch at bats, nine pitch at bats. And even if they don't end in a base hit, that's a good at bat. And you'll take that nine times out of 10 from your first baseman. And it's a hell of a lot better than a four pitch strikeout to Franchi Cordero or Bobby Dahlbeck. So I'm very happy with the, the progress this team has made. I just wish that it would translate to some wins because I feel like every time we look up, we're trailing another team in the standings. The only thing, I, my only complaint about Hosmer so far is that he just seems to barrel him up and, and drive him to, to straightaway center. And I just wouldn't mind seeing some, you know, I don't want to say slappy base hits, but try try shooting the ball in, in other areas of the field, not necessarily, you know, going for the fences every time. That worked out great in, in May and June when we had – I think what three players in the top five or six with, you know, extra base hits. So, um, I think that'll come Terry though. I think Hosmer wasn't lifting the ball at all in San Diego and his barrel percentages were way down. Andrew, I don't know if you have kind of the statistics that would, that would point to that. I know that you're the statistics guy out of the three of us, uh, for barrel percentages and you know, those advanced metrics, but, they were way down in San Diego. He was hitting the ball on the ground a lot. And now he's starting to lift the ball. And if he's doing that, it's only a matter of time before he becomes very, very well acquainted with the Green Monster. And that's a great thing for this team. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm hoping we see. I mean, he's never been a a high walk guy, so to speak. I think his career on base is around 338, something like that. But yeah. All right. Let me uh, let, let me get into my dud. Okay. And right up front, it's going to be Chris Sale. But before I actually get to Chris Sale, I'm going to kind of take the long way here, and uh, I, I want to 
point out some similarities to to David Price here. So Price's first year, 2016, not a terrible year. It might have been his best year. I don't know. I don't have his uh, stats in front of me. But it wasn't a bad year for Price. He goes into the postseason, poops his pants in game two of the ALDS against the Indians, kind of like he always did previously. And and then, uh, you know, that was it for for 2016. 2017, spring training, that's the magic elbow year. Partially torn UCL, but it's fine because he's got a magic elbow. On and off uh, the the injured list. Uh, he gets into the pri- uh, the Dennis Eckersley controversy and then puts himself on the injured list uh, before his next start, which would have been at home against the Royals. So kind of weird with the timing there. 2018 uh, in a April start, cold April night, he takes himself out of the game. He, he was getting shelled and he was complaining of hand numbness, something like that. But then by the time the uh, beat writers got into the clubhouse, said he was fine. Magically, uh, a couple months later, he's about to play the Yankees in the Bronx. And then we've got the famous Fortnite injury, conveniently, just before a Yankees start, um, has the Fortnite injury. The reason why I'm going on a David Price rant right now is because David Price got comfortable on the injured list. It was a safe place for him. He couldn't get chirped and boot off the mound when he was on the injured list. I think the same thing right now is kind of happening with Chris Sale. Now, he broke his hand in the comebacker. He broke his pinky. So he, he, he's, it's, it's not like he's putting himself on there. But when he got back into the dugout, when they got the splint onto his pinky and his hand wrapped, he was all smiles like a kid in a candy store. He was happy to be off the mound and out of that terrible situation, which was brewing. He pitched two-thirds of an inning and gave up two runs. He he was going to give up five or six before he came off the mound. And that's what he is at this point in his career. And I don't think he really even cares. And then this week, he crashes his bicycle. He, he And unlike our 80-year-old president who crashed his bicycle and had no apparent injuries, Chris Sale finds a way to, to injure his, his hand and... I'm just over this contract. It's probably it's worse than than Sandoval at this point. Both extensions were five years. Sales was 145. Sandoval's, I think, was 95. And apples and oranges, you can say, but it's one of the worst contracts in Red Sox history at this point. John Lackey's contract was terrible, but he salvaged it in 2013, had a good season, had a beast of a postseason. I don't see any of that happening with Chris Sale. And I'm I'm just I'm just done with him. And I think the the monitor situation, the TV that he smashed in Worcester, that looks even worse now. It's just another Chris Sale sideshow. And I'm just, I'm done with this guy. This guy can't even live life without getting injured. He's injury prone in life, let alone baseball. And he puts himself in these dumb situations. And I'm extremely frustrated with it. And Chris Sale's my dud. 
I didn't think Chris Sale was going to give you anything at any point this year anyway. James Paxson was the guy I was hoping was going to come off the injured list and help this team. So my expectations were low. The contract, uh, yeah, it's a bad contract. It's not the worst contract. And he won you a World Series. So I'm accepting of the contract. That's that's how it works. If you're going to pay guys big money, eventually it's going to come back to bite you in the later years. You just hope you get that production in the first three quarters of the contract. They didn't, but they won a World Series, so I wanted to move on. And I, I want to point out that I think the Chris Sale contract comes all the way back, and it goes all the way back to John Lester and letting John Lester walk. They let John Lester walk. They traded him to Oakland knowing they weren't going to sign him to a contract extension. John Lester went on to be a World Series curse breaker in Chicago. Came close to a Cy Young. And they ended up, you know, reactionary. Having to sign Chris Sale to big money over long years. Because the fan base was upset that they didn't hand out money to John Lester. So this this goes back to decisions made a long time ago, you know, three general managers ago. And it's upsetting, sure, but I, I don't actually think that Chris Sale can be a dud for this season because I don't think Chris Sale was ever optimistically going to be a, a realistic part of this team. I, I had low expectations for him as well, and I'm on record almost ad nauseum pointing that out. I do want to point out, though, that the World Series uh, came – on his Chicago White Sox contract that we traded for. So the extension happened after that and should have happened. Well, now, I, now you're ruining my whole argument there, Terry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> way, way, to point out, way to point out my, uh, my stupidity there. My, my point still stands. I mean, yes, it's a bad contract extension, but you, you got out of him in the first portion of, of the years what you hoped and it's unfortunate that he's now injury prone. We knew it would happen at some point. That was always the risk with Chris Sale. We took it on. We won a World Series. And uh, at this point in his career, he doesn't have much to offer you at the big league level as a starting pitcher. I really think he still has a lot to offer you as a bullpen arm. And I think that's the best solution for him moving forward. Well, Sure sounded to me like that was your case for Dave Dombrowski being the uh, dud for the series because you brought up two of the worst contracts the Red Sox have signed, and Bloom has been saddled with both of those. I mean, God knows what the Red Sox could have been doing with all that money. So you look last year, the Red Sox paid Sale, David Price, and Justin Pedroia over $60 million not to play. The Dustin Pedroia one goes back to, I think it was Charrington, and they didn't insure the contract. They would have been out of that. They wouldn't have to deal with that. Then, you know, you got, uh, you know, $16 million worth of price. You know, they broke every single record giving him that deal. That was what it was. And then now you got Chris Sale when he was just hit, when Dombrowski was handing out money, handing hand over foot during that, uh, you know, the that run. And, you know, I wrote a post before the World Series that year that the Red Sox had a really good opportunity that they, you know, they had one more year of Chris Sale. They could have traded. If they won the World Series, the pressure would have been off. 
They could have traded him with one year left on this deal and he would have been an asset, but they didn't. They gave him, you know, 30 something million. And I don't blame Chris Sale at all. Honestly, he shouldn't have been at Harvard. There was a Fenway concert, so he couldn't train where he was normally training. So that sucks. That is just bad luck. He was in an area he shouldn't have been in. So I, I don't blame him. And he was already training and throwing weeks after getting hit by a line drive in his pitching hand. And they were already talking about him going back into the bullpen. They had plans for it. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't blame Chris Sale. It sucks. It's unfortunate. I'm never going to blame someone for getting hurt. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully he can recover from this and start again next year. And I think they're going to have to, you know, hope that he's a uh, number two or a three getting paid as a one because the sins of past GMs continue to saddle the current regime. And honestly, they're probably giving ownership some reservations when it comes to handing out contracts. I mean, I think story's been good. He obviously had shit luck and hit on the wrist on a check swing. But you look at every single damn contract they handed out. Theo handed out some of the worst contracts in Major League history. Uh, he gave Adrian Gonzalez the world. He gave Crawford like a hundred and God knows how many million. Uh, gave Lackey all that money. All three backfired. And then, you know, Charrington gives Hanley and Pablo terrible deals. So, bro, uh, there's a difference. There's a difference, Andrew. Like, I understand that it's what is, what's the difference? Ownership the difference is, is what's the last them to give money to homegrown players. I'm not asking them to go get the guy, pay the guy in your own on your own team who's 23 years old. Who's 23? Uh, I guess Rafi Devers is now 25. See, so look at that. I blinked it at 25. <laughs> well, I'm just like, saying, I, I don't blame them. And then you know, they look around the league and you know, they look at Mike Trout and God knows what's going to happen with his career. And he's been in amazing shape this entire time. You know, I I just don't blame ownership for being like, you know, do we want to keep handing out $250 million? When's the last time any of these contracts have worked out? And it sucks. But, you know, I will say one quick thing. I don't know if you guys saw Bloom's interview um, on uh, with Peralt the other day. I did. And, yeah, and he was like, Peralta's like, yeah, I think you guys should sign Devers for life. He's like, yeah, I agree with you. So, I don't know. I thought that was interesting, too. Well, that should have happened by now, and it could have happened. And we're we're making it way harder and hopefully not impossible. But, I mean, that's the one thing he could have gotten right this year. Well, I'm on record well, they gave him saying two, They offered him over $200 million. Yeah, yeah no, we're, we're getting conflicting that. stuff on that, but I, I did see that report as well. So we'll see. And but now I hear people saying, "Oh well, you know, now the Austin Riley thing—that's that's where it's you know that's where his market should start." And apparently, he was already in that territory when he's when he declined it. Apparently, he, oh, he's better than so, Austin Riley. I exactly. I would say. Yeah. From a yeah, clutch standpoint, they're very similar players, and okay, I so, know Austin Riley can play the field for the next eight years. Is all okay, I'm saying. So let's let's just assume they're the same player. We, we've had Rafi Devers argument before. We're going to spend the next four months having it, especially if the team sucks. But if he is Austin Riley, you still give him the moon because the alternative is not having a face for this franchise. It's being Tampa Bay South. It's no fun as a fan to be engaged with. 
And I don't know about you two, but I want to win long-term. And a guy like Austin Riley, a guy like Rafi Devers helps you do that. So, Oh, yeah, I know. I agree. They should give him, like, 250. When I've seen people on Twitter saying, you know, you got to give him, like, 350, 400. And it's like, no. Okay, well, there, there are people on Twitter that, that listen to our show and think they should burn down Fenway and put a new ballpark somewhere else because the Red Sox need to move out of Boston. I mean, there, there are dumb people on the internet. Let's not, let's not mistake that, but you, you need to pay Rafi Devers. And I'm on record with this. If Heim Bloom pays Rafi Devers, then I'm in favor of every other movies made to shed salary, to make this team better for next season. Assuming that Rafi Devers is the centerpiece for the next five years or 10 years, then every move Heim Bloom made has been correct. So I, I am three years in, and I still, he still gets a C from me, or a C minus, but it could easily be an A minus. All he has to do is pay Rafi Devers. You're very seldom ever going to see me advocate for a contract around three hundred million or more. The only one that's arguably worked out as far as position players has been Manny Machado in the last several years. Yeah, Harper's been okay, but he's been injured. And I mean, he's on a team that constantly underperforms despite his presence on it, though they've won 11 straight. Okay, well, I I hope they do it. Is he done for the year, though, Harper? I don't think so. I think he has a chance to come back in the middle of September. Okay, I hope for their sake he does. But but the Machado contracts, the only one that's like definitely worked out like absolutely. Yeah. And. If Devers was coming into his age 29 or age 30 season this year, I would be vehemently against giving him $300 million over 10 years. I would be vehemently against it. But he's 25. I think he, he might turn 26 later. The clock's ticking. They could have had that 10 or $12 million deal done. Uh, t- excuse me, 10 or 12-year deal done last winter or the winter before even. And... And only had him signed through his age 35 to 37 season. So the clock is ticking for for a mega deal for him to, to make sense. And it needs to happen. Well, the Whitlock contract that they gave out this winter gives me hope that they're going to get smarter with this going forward. Because we haven't seen pre-ARP deals in years and you know you got castles coming up so i'm hoping you know they get smarter with this because that's where the savings come and it comes with the pre-art you, you so. need to hit them a full year before arbitration that's the sweet well, yeah, spot all the pre-art. that's yeah, the you buy it for three years and then you go from there i that's what i want to see and i'd love to see it with pitching as well uh, that, i think there's guys the- on the way i think i think brian bayo is going to be that guy if they're smart they'll They'll give him something similar to what they gave Garrett Whitlock, assuming that you know he is the one or the two that they hope he's going to be when he pans out. He's still young and developing. Obviously, we've seen him at the big league level a little too early, I think, for for his development. But th- there are guys in the system that you know might be able to to be those key pieces. And I told my dad this the other night, and we were watching you know game one of this set with the Braves. Watching the Braves is so damn fun because most of their guys are homegrown. And when they get a guy, they sign him up for six, eight years when he's young 
when he's productive and you have a a guy that you're connected to emotionally as a city for the foreseeable future. And that's what the Red Sox should do with Rafi Devers. It's what they already did with Garrett Whitlock. And there are other guys that they could do that with going forward. I, I really hope that's the model. I hope so as well. And one thing, though, there was some Theo bashing earlier, and I know his free agent record wasn't great, as you guys pointed I don't tolerate out. Theo bashing. Come on now. You but he was great with the homegrown guys. He got he got Pedroia on kind of a team friendly, buying up his arbitration with a couple of options, uh, you know, type deal. Did the same thing with Lester. Did the same thing with Buckholtz. That one, you know, maybe didn't work out quite as well as we wanted. Maybe there was one more in there. I, I can't remember, but he he was great at that. So. Um, I, I had some more stuff on sale as well, but I'll, I'll save that for another rant. Um, okay. Uh, getting into the uh, dishonorables here, Rafi Devers, who we were just begging, you know, for an extension for, was only one for 12 uh, this series. So, or well, the last three nights, I should say. Uh, let's see. We covered Martinez. We covered Pulecki. I guess those are the only uh, dishonorables as far as Darwinson the- Hernandez. Oh yeah, I'm getting into the pitching now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Darwin's in terrible. Uh, Brazier got roughed up pretty good. Um, Ort basically coughed up the extra innings games. I, I want to get into this real quick. I was kind of hoping one of you might pick Cora as your dud, but why is Darwin's in Hernandez? the first guy out of the pen after six pretty decent innings from Nick Pavetta in a game that was very close. Why did we forfeit the rest of the game at that point? Uh, before, hang on, hang on. Before we get into that uh, later on, why is Ort coming out of the pen in extra innings before? And uh, also for more, for, for five outs, six outs, something like that. No, five outs. Why is he, he was coming pretty out good in the 10th? It was the 11th that cost him. And, uh, but why is he helped. coming out before Davis if we're trying to win the game? I just, uh, I mean, Austin Davis hasn't been great lately either. Well, neither, or it's been the second worst in there besides, besides Darwin's in. I don't know. I don't so, think there's any reason to pitch Schreiber or Whitlock if you don't have the lead, in my opinion. Well, well it was a tie game at that point. I, I don't hate that decision. What I do hate, and Andrew, I, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. I, I hate sending Ord back out there for the second inning. I mean, I know that you had one guy behind him. Austin Davis was the last guy in the bullpen at that point. I hated going back to him because they smoked two of the three outs that he got in the top of the 10th. I mean, they were line outs that were burning a hole in the, the glove of the outfielders. You just kind of... I think they, they rolled the dice with him in the 11th and it burned him. Why Cora wasn't my dud, Terry, is because Rich Hill can only give you three innings. And when you have to go to six guys in in the bullpen, eventually somebody's going to cough it up. It's it's just as much on the offense as it is on, on the bullpen at that point. And my frustration, I guess, would be worse if he had other options. But I don't think he made any mistakes managing the bullpen. I just think he ran out of options, and it bled into game two of that that 
Atlanta series as well. I don't see why Darwin's in as the first guy out of the pen. Darwinson the, should not be in the big leagues. In the I mean, seventh inning. Cora. Hang on. Where are we here? So the Red Sox, let's see. It was. Yeah, it's the seventh inning. Nick Pavetta gave you six, 107 pitches. Darwinson came in in the seventh, and you had Matt Barnes in there as well, actually. So it might have been Barnes in the seventh and then Darwinson in the eighth. No, Barnes wasn't in game two. He uh, was terrible in game uh, one. I'm not going to get on core there because it was the, uh, you know, you only got four innings from Hill, like you said. But Darwin's in under no circumstances whatsoever should be coming into a game that's close and in a, a must-win situation. And, well, and, Darwinson uh, shouldn't be in the big leagues at all. I know, but he was the first one out of the pen, is what I'm saying. Who, and he's got a 22 else, who ERA. Available? Who else was available? You burned seven guys the he, night before. Brazier and Davis came out right after him. Why? Why? And both, and both stunk. Brazier stunk. Uh, not well. Davis only pitched one third of an inning, but still, anybody is better than Darwin's in. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I agree with you, Terry. That's never going to be only... acceptable to me. I'm never going to live in a world where, like, it's a close game, go get Darwin's in. I'm that's, I'm not going to live in that world and, and think that <laughs> Look, I, it's I don't smart. You. I don't want to live in that world either. It sucks that we're living in that world, but that's the bullpen that Cora's been given to manage. He doesn't have much options there, many options there. And, frankly, we're just waiting for guys to get healthy. I mean, they're talking about the last three days about how – Rich Hill's offered to go to the bullpen because he wants to help the team any way he can. He offered to go to the bullpen because he knows he's not going to get another start. Exactly, because they're going to keep Winkowski. Right, because he can't start at this point. And, uh, Andrew, I'm sure you're going to agree with this, but I don't want to speak for you. You you can only manage who you're given. And he's been given a bunch of double-A relievers because of injuries, and there's nothing that you can't make core of the dud for that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, uh, Saramora – um, uh, Whitlock and Schreiber are kind of your, you know, your three can count on. And I mean, Tanner Houck, unfortunately going down hurts. It kills your depth. I would like to see them bring up a couple guys. I mean, I do think that Zach Kelly has absolutely earned a shot at this point. Um, I'm not too sure why he hasn't come up yet. Uh, I would love to see that happen. Um, I would even take Bizarro. Uh, as well. I don't know. I think that Caleb Ork can probably safely go down. He'll just be a depth up and down arm at this point. Uh, Darwin's and I think they really tried to give every last chance. He just had such good stuff. It sucks um, that he's turned out the way he has. Because uh, he, yeah, he was one of our most exciting arms to come up in a long time, honestly. So, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would really like to see a couple guys from Blister get called up to revamp this bullpen because I don't, I don't see what the risk in is. But that's the thing. There's no urgency right now to, to make things better despite there being other options. And here's another one. Why James Paxton's been throwing bullpens since late June, which was after his setback, he's been throwing bullpens and they are dragging this out. (laughs) Like, why isn't he up here In, in some kind of a role? If, if not a starter, I just, they're dragging their feet on so many things. And I, why did Waka need another rehab appearance after he took a no hitter into the, the sixth or seventh inning of his first one? If there's urgency, I, it just, 
It looks like a team that's not trying to win. And every time they do a shot on Alex Cora, he's in the dugout just being lovey-dovey with the players laughing about stuff. Like winning is like the furthest thing from his mind, it looks like. You might see him get mad at an umpire every now and then on a bad strike call or or something like that. But that's about it. <laughs> I, I want Alex Cora to be managing for his job. Like that's what I want him to feel like in that dugout. He just got an extension. Did he? This week. I didn't see he, it. They picked up his option on his contract. No, 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 no. That was that was before the season. Oh, I, I there we go. That I, I saw an article this All week right. that they were Job's up getting his, his weeks and months mixed up. Um, it's been a long season. It has. <laughs> we lose a lot of games. The, it's tough to keep track. It's we probably got PTSD at this point. You prob- the reason you probably saw that is because WEI wrote a article because how awesome they are and how much they don't screw things up and then they were saying about how Alex Cora was in the last year of his deal and his contract hadn't been picked up and it, it had to get corrected so he has an option for next year it was already he, picked up he's under contract okay. through 2024 I was trying to figure that out through 2024 yes wait a minute so 20 He's got now three years okay, left. So three years three. with an option. That's what it was then. All right. Well, that's well, that's fine. I mean, I'm not I wasn't about to make the case that he's gonna get fired this year, but I want him to be under a lot of pressure. And I, that's just not what we're seeing. So we just like spent the whole show. Let's just get through studs real quick. Job, you got a good one. Go ahead. Your stud for the last three nights. Uh, my stud for the last three nights, and I forgot that we started with duds, Terry, yeah. is Tommy Pham. Uh, Tommy Pham went five for 13. I think it's five for 13, but I want to double check if it was 13 or, or 14 at bats. Uh, five for 13. He had a, a couple of home runs, a couple of big blasts, actually, very important home runs. Obviously, both games led to losses, but he is energized, and he's quickly going to become a fan favorite. In Boston, every single one of his at-bats looks like he's pressing right now, which is not great. I don't think this is the best of Tommy Pham, but when he connects, it goes a mile, and he's hitting it to all fields. He's playing better defense than I thought. I thought his his throw beat Acuna by a mile the other night via relay, and I I still think Ploiecki would have had to make a great tag, but he could have made the tag, would have made Tommy Pham look even better. Uh, Tommy Pham is easily been the best addition the Red Sox have made at the trade deadline in the last couple of seasons. And uh, I think it's going to continue. Well, it's kind of funny. The Red Sox have acquired the best bat at the deadline, what, two years in a row? Schwarber last year, Sam this year. Um, I know he's got a, he has a mutual option at the end of the year. So that's pretty much uh a player option when it comes down to it. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him back. Um, if you know, they could come to a reasonable deal. It seems like him and, uh, bloom have a pretty decent relationship going back a while now. And if he's got his head on straight, uh, he, he's a good player. And I think Cincinnati kind of sucks the life out of you. And we're seeing him. I, I agree. I think Cincinnati sucks the life out of you as a competitor and it's given him new, desire to play baseball and he looks a lot like the guy that was on the Padres for a couple of seasons really hitting the ball hard on the last show totally legit or calling the cops which was a great show if anyone hasn't heard it yet um 
we talked about who we thought could have the better final, you know, six or seven weeks here uh, out of Fam or Hosmer. And I actually picked Fam because he's kind of, you know, he's basically on the last year of a deal. So he's probably auditioning for a spot on the roster next year or just trying to close the year so he'll get signed by someone. Hosmer's going to get his money for the next three or four years regardless. But I I think Fam is definitely, like you guys said, been a spark plug. And finally, we have a leadoff guy. I was just explaining, I was just complaining, excuse me, uh, a couple weeks ago. Why, why, why is the bar so low? Why is Jalen Davis getting to be the leadoff guy? Why is Jaron Duran automatically the leadoff guy? He's not good enough to be on the roster for the first three months of the season, but suddenly he's good enough to be the leadoff guy right out of the gates for the Boston Red Sox after watching Damon, Ellsbury, Mookie. I went on a long rant about this. And I, d- I don't know if Fam is a leadoff guy, but he's certainly better than so many other options. Well, he and- came up as a leadoff hitter. And he oh, hasn't he? done okay. it in the last couple of seasons, but gotcha. he, he did start out in the big leagues as a leadoff hitter. And he, he does have the makeup for it as far as long at-bats. I, I really like his at-bats. I know in a couple of spots this this week he struck out on three pitches, and people are like, well, that's not a leadoff hitter. He's also taken some really, really close pitches on the outside corner for balls, and then he'll take the next pitch over the center field wall. I mean, he he's a quality big league bat. I think he'd be better as your fourth outfielder, but he could start every day, and uh, that's what's going to happen down the stretch. He's going to be a competitor. Maybe he's the next KK Hernandez contract who signed a two-year, $14 million deal. So that's Wouldn't surprise me. $7 million a year, but we've got nothing as far as the outfield goes. I'm not a Tommy Pham guy from a, a character standpoint. Um, you know, Google him if you're not familiar with him. But, um, but yeah, so – but certainly, I mean, I think those are the type of signings you're going you're gonna to get from Bloom this winter. I don't think you're going to get a big splash as far as the lineup goes. None of those big free agents are, are going to be coming to Boston. Uh, if anything, you, you might see Bogarts back on a team-friendly deal depending on how the market plays out. But – um, but yeah. All right. Uh, Andrew, you're, um, stud for the series. That was John Schreiber. Uh, came out with great again. He is as locked down of a lockdown guy that there is in the league right now. Uh, I do worry we're pushing him a little hard. I know he's now unavailable for the next few nights per Cora, uh, in the post game. I really don't want to see him in games that were not leading i don't even i don't even care for tied. i just think that you know you got this guy going forward you found a diamond in the rough this has been an amazing find he's going to be dirt cheap if you know essentially free uh i say yeah don't really just run him into the ground now if he was a free agent at the end of the year i'd say screwed who cares but i want to see them take care of him and i want to see him being a big part of next year's plan uh i think he's proved he has it like I said, I do worry we're overworking him, but um, I think that's just out of necessity at this point. I feel very confident every time he takes the mound. I've been saying it since April. I mean, he's the best arm in your bullpen for one inning. Uh, obviously, Garrett Whitlock is, I think, a better pitcher. He was in the rotation when I said it. 
I want John Schreiber to be your closer. I think if you if you gave John Schreiber some nice walk up music like Edwin Diaz has right now, he'd be the talk of the town for for everybody. Not a lot of people realize how good he is. I, I'm with you, Andrew. I don't want them totally overworking him in in case we need him down the stretch. But I mean, we're we're playing to get into the wild card here. He's cheap, and I think relievers are. I mean, yeah, he's a diamond in the rough, but he's you can move him if you had to in the offseason. In fact, if if they're going to use him a lot down the stretch here to get into the play, playoffs and they move him in the offseason for a piece, there's a 50-50 shot that next year he comes back and can't remember how to pitch again. So I, I'd be okay with that too. But I, I want him in a meaningful ball game in the ninth inning. Well, I'm still kind of in go-for-it mode. I mean, we could be getting Story back before long. Kike Hernandez could be back in, I don't know, maybe a week or two. Um, I just want to steal wins here and and give ourselves the best shot going forward. Well, I know that the three of us, we talked about it being must-win. Four of six this week, I think, is what we were talking about. We already lost two of those. I'm looking at the schedule. I don't think necessarily that this is must win. I mean, you have to stay afloat. You can't lose any more ground. But you don't need to win all three of these. You need to stay afloat because next week we have Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and then Toronto, Tampa, and Minnesota after that. All of those teams, with the exception of Pittsburgh, are in front of you in the race. So you can really do some damage to teams above us in the standings here and and climb right back into it with a good stretch. If everyone is starting to come back, you know, in the next week or so before that stretch really gets going or in the heart of it, I feel pretty good about our chances to make a run. Well, I mean, I look at Toronto last year, who was by far the hottest team in the second half of September, and they came one game short of force in game 163 against us. Uh, So I just... I think every win is crucial at this point. And that game one of this last three games when we lost in extra is super painful, super painful. Got to win these games. And uh, I mean, I core has got to manage this pen better. I don't blame not having Schreiber for the next couple of nights. Cause yeah, he did. He did record six outs tonight, but, um, I don't know. I, I still want to play to win. And yeah. So anyway, my, um, my stuff for the series, I'm going with Christian Arroyo who is hitting uh, well over 300 in the last month. I think he's hitting, let's see. I got it right here. 326 in the last month, 357 uh, in the last week. And his slugging percentage is in the fives. So he's, for the last month, been a bona fide power hitter, essentially. And um, I just feel like at this point, I think he's solidified himself as basically the Brock Holt of the Boston Red Sox with a little bit more pop than what Brock had. I think that's the type of role he's probably going to have for the next few years or next couple, at least. Let's put it that way. I'm okay with that comparison. Uh, for for reference on some of these stats that you're giving Terry, 
He's 21 for 56 with seven runs, one home run, two walks, and eight strikeouts in his last 15 games. That's good for 375, 397, 554. That's about as hot as you're ever going to get from a guy who's a career 250 hitter. I'm very happy with Christian Arroyo at the moment. And I think we saw flashes of it last year. When when he's healthy and you give him the right matchup, he can be a meaningful piece on your team. I just I hope he stays healthy. And right now the Red Sox can't afford another blow. So we're putting a lot of eggs in the oft injured Christian Royal basket. Again, this is another what if on the last, you know, month of the season. You know, what if he was healthy? What if he could have taken those Yomer Sanchez at bats and you know I've I wouldn't be shocked if it cost us three or four games and, you know, we'd be hovering right around where uh, Baltimore is and where Tampa is. It's just, it sucks to see, but I'm glad to see what he's doing. Um, this is what the team needs. And yeah, another guy you really don't want to run into the ground because you know, he'll, you know, he'll get a soft tissue injury or something, but you ride him while he's hot. And I think you're going to find a spot for him damn near every night. As long as guys uh, continue to be out. Uh, he's another guy I think could be a candidate for the leadoff spot if if you need to give Tommy Pham a break there as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to see it every day, but in a pinch for for sure, I think that would work. Uh, all right, we're at the hour mark, so let's just get into the uh, Yankees series here. Uh, game one uh, on Friday night, 7-10. Uh, they're all... Basically, 7 o'clock starts. That means Sunday's the ESPN game. Uh, so we got Domingo Herman versus Nathan Avaldi. Herman, let's get his last three starts here, um, has pitched pretty well uh, in his last one against St. Louis. Five innings pitched, only gave up one earned run, only struck out three. Start before that, August 1st, that was against the Seattle Mariners. Five innings pitched again. Uh, two earned runs, only struck out one, curiously, so strikeouts weren't quite there the last two appearances. And then finally, uh, on his July 27th start against the Flaming Hot Mets, he got four and two-thirds innings, only gave up two runs, did manage to strike out seven there. So we're not exactly catching a slumping Yankees pitcher here. Albeit he's you know a number five starter, but Job, how do you see that game going uh, against Evaldi? Well, I think actually right now he's their number three or four, but we're we're getting there three, four, five, four, five, six, however you want to put it, against our one, two, three here. This is the game I think wins or loses you the series, and I'll explain why later in the game. I think this is a a classic Nate domination game. I think we're going to see Nate go six innings, maybe six and a third with seven strikeouts and give up three runs. My the Yankees lineup doesn't scare me for him. <laughs> That's that I wasn't sure if I was supposed to hop in. Um, yeah, so my X factor for this series is definitely going to be uh, J.D. Martinez. I'm not convinced Nate is all there at the moment. I, I don't see his stuff back to pre-All-Star break uh, material material at this point. So I think this offense needs to show up and put up at least six runs uh, for them to have a chance in this game. 
So who's your pick? That's <sighs> eh, a toss up. Um, I'm going to have to go New York. Okay. I'm also going to take the Yankees as well. I think Evaldi's just going to be throwing mostly off-speed stuff. His fastball's topping out at 92-93. If the Yankees are good at anything, it's getting themselves uh, prepared uh, analytically in the batter's box. And I I think they're going to know what to sit on. And Evaldi's had some doozies against them, even when he's been firing on all cylinders and coming off of previous good starts. And I just don't see that happening here. I would love to be pleasantly surprised, but I have to take the Yankees in game one. Uh, Game two, uh, we've got Frankie Montas, a.k.a. Sonny Gray 2.0, came over from Oakland uh, to the Yankees in the trade. Uh, Let's see. His last start against... The Cardinals was on August 7th, only lasted three innings, got shelled for six runs, only struck out two. He did pitch against the Astros. I think that was still in an Oakland uniform, though. That was July 26th. Uh, Five innings pitched there, only two earned runs, struck out four. And then uh, his July 21st start against the Tigers. Only three innings for some reason. Didn't give up an earned run and struck out five. So um, not not pitching well, at least in a pinstripe uniform. Job, how do you see that one going? He is pitching against... Uh-oh, lost my spot. Cutter Crawford. Cutter Crawford, my bad, yeah. Well, I think that this is a tough one because I think the X factor here is Cutter Crawford. Um, we need the Cutter Crawford that has been the ace for the last month, the one that's enjoyable to watch and not the guy that sometimes shows up and gives you three innings for seven runs. I'm I'm hopeful that that's the case. I also, I think this is the game where you, you manage it to win. So I... I really want to take the Sox. I think this could be a, a welcome to the AL East moment for Montas. But I think I'm still going to take New York. Yeah, you know, Montas has done well against the Red Sox in the past. I know since he had that shoulder issue, he hasn't been exactly, you know, the one a guy that he had been in the past seasons, but I think the Red Sox pull out a close one. I I think this will probably be their, you know, all hands on deck. Every guy is available uh, in the bullpen kind of game. You'll have Schreiber and potentially Whitlock available. So I, I'm going to give a little, you know, like a five to four game to the Red Sox. I'm going to take the Red Sox in this one as well. I don't feel great about it, but I think Cutter Crawford, for some reason, he just seems to pick himself up uh, in these big games and seems to exceed expectations. And perhaps, I don't know, that that Yankees uniform does weird things to some players, uh, as we saw it with another uh, Oakland pitcher uh, previously. So, for what it's worth, I'll, I'll take Crawford in that one. Game two, 
excuse me, game three on Sunday. That is the ESPN game. That's looking like Jamison Tyon versus Michael Waka. Unless they decide they would just rather lose the game and not start him. Wouldn't shock me. Um, let's see. Tyon has pitched uh, okay as of late in his uh, start on August 8th against the uh, I almost said the Seahawks. That's it's midnight. So bear with me uh, against the Mariners. He went seven full innings, uh, gave up three earned, struck out six. Uh, that was uh, a rematch from his August 2nd start six days earlier where he didn't pitch quite as well four and two thirds innings pitched gave up five runs struck still struck out six and then uh, against the Royals on July 28th Tyon pitched six full innings didn't give up an earned run struck out eight so I I want to say he tuned us up pretty good last time we faced him so uh Job go ahead well it's been a while since I've gotten to say it, but uh, I am the president of the Michael Walker Fan Club. He is a free agent after the season. He's been dealing with dead arm. He hasn't been super healthy. What we have seen of him has been good enough to probably warrant a, a big multi-year deal for him, you know, something in, in the good range. But this is his chance to really make a statement in front of the rest of Major League Baseball. I think he's going to take it. I, I think this is the first time, and the definition of, of stupidity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different outcome, but I'm doing it right here. I'm picking the Red Sox to win a series in the American League East. Um, it, according to Elias, Andrew, you said that Oriel, that Orioles series counts, this one-game set. So the, the lid is off the basket. The Red Sox are going to start winning games in bunches here. Call me an optimist. Red Sox take game three. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the Red Sox on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball in a first game back in like two months for Waka. I just don't think it's going to work out well. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be borderline unwatchable because we know what that broadcast is going to be like. It's going to be the Aaron Judge broadcast the entire show. Probably just going to – I don't even know if I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be so aggravated by it. Um I, I just don't see it going well for the Red Sox. I have the Yankees taking this one-handedly. I feel weird for doing this, but I'm also gonna I'm gonna take uh, the uh, Red Sox in this one. Um, Walkers look pretty good. He did take a a ball off the foot in his last start. It wasn't you know as dominant as his last one as his first uh, rehab start. Excuse me, and. Tyon's been up and down. Hopefully they figured something out since uh, facing him a, a couple weeks ago. But we're at home, and we're probably going to be the away team anyway because that's just how it's been. A lot of visiting fans have been filling up uh, Fenway this season. But this, I think this series is the nail in the coffin if, if we don't. And I, I know Job and I have gone back and forth on – how critical it is, but for me, this is it. And if if we're not one or two games under five hundred, we're three at the moment. Um, it's you know, 
it's over, I would say, at that point, knowing that we've got some tough divisional games still to come. So we will wrap on that. We'll be back Sunday night to talk about what did happen in this Red Sox-Yankees series. And uh, we'll see you then. Take care.